I got my beer out. I'm ready to go. Almost forgot it. I had to put the mic down and go grab it out of the fridge. You're listening to Dots, Lines, and Destinations, a travel podcast with host Stephen Seagraves, Fosma Moon, and Seth Miller. Hello, and welcome to episode 435 of Dots, Lines, and Destinations. I'm Stephen Seagraves, joined by Seth Miller and Fosma Moon. Hey, guys. Good day. Howdy. It's a little, we're, we're like nine hour time difference today. Seth's in Poland. Who's in Poland? Foz is on the east coast of the United States, and I'm on the west coast. So it's uh, this is like taking a work call for me. <laughs> and it's Monday. <laughs> and it is a Monday. We're recording this on Monday. Uh, so, yeah. It's slightly uh, different than my typical work call because I have a beer. <laughs> that would make my work calls a little better sometimes. I had no idea that this town was so... There's apparently goats on top of the clock tower here. Really? Yeah, they're like butt heads a couple times a day. Remember, so I see a statue. I haven't actually seen them butting heads, but the, so I realized I got a local beer. It's got a goat on the label drinking its beer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, wow, that's wow. How are you liking posing so far? I mean, we'll talk about it in the uh, bonus, I guess. So far, so good. Yeah, uh, can't complain. It's a cute little old town. There's a ton of construction still. Yeah, yeah. Were they rebuilding like a sewer system or something? They're re- redoing the all the like plumbing, sewer, water stuff in the main square, uh, and so like. It's dusty, messy, sandy, whatever. But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, let's talk Lufthansa Group. They are uh, looks like they're going to finalize the deal with ITA. They have a, come to an agreement, and so it's three hundred and thirty-ish million for the first forty percent, and okay. then options on the remaining amount, and the options depend on the actual performance of the carrier. <laughs> so. Um, and I don't know the details of which direction that goes. But one of the interesting things I thought about this is that it appears they have options to own a full 100%. Really? So, yeah. And in the time, you know, in the leaked conversations leading up to this, it was sort of they get to 90%. They get to, you know, some number. Maybe there's, a you know, a, a golden share kind of thing that uh, the Italian government would still own. But I have not seen any mention of any of that in all this conversation. So it seems like we may before this decade is through, uh, come to an era where the Italian government no longer owns an airline. I mean, it would be a good day for Italy. Financially, certainly. Yes, exactly. That's kind of why. I say, and probably travel-wise. <laughs> I mean, the 100% thing is is weird to me, that they're willing to like capitulate or give it up based on the terms. Like that's, Yeah. yeah. Um, and it, did they get more A350s out of this? Lufthansa did? So separate from that, they also signed a deal to pick up uh, for they're buying four more A350 900s from a lessor management company uh, broker or something. Um, so these are used planes. They were pretty aggressive about not saying what the prior owner was or giving MSNs or anything like that. So I mean, eventually we'll know, obviously. And I tried to explain that to the person I was emailing. I'm like, I'm going to find out eventually. Why won't you just tell me? And he was not swayed by my. Uh, what I thought was incredibly compelling de- uh, debate points, but I thought I read somewhere that they might be ex-Latam. So at one point, I thought that as well. They had been reported as ex-Latam, and there's one by some. There was a, a report a couple months ago that some ex-Latam birds were being negotiated for this. Someone also said that there might be some, that this one of the challenges is I can't find what planes this lessor owns. Um, there's one tail number from a Latam one that's sort of showing on some of the tracking websites as pending transfer with a D dash registration, but I, I can't find 
what the planes are yet. So um, <laughs> the other interesting thing about that, though, is the, the question that their comms team did answer was said, OK, well, I assume then that they'll enter service as is today and then they'll get the Allegra's cabin installed eventually. Right. And got a strong. We have no we, we won't comment on what the future configuration of these planes will be, which on the one hand, fine, you don't want to talk to me. I get it. Um, but on the other hand, not committing that these will get the Allegros at some point, which is like the new brand standard for Lufthansa Group or for Lufthansa and Swiss. That seems super strange. I'm sure they will, but it was weird the way that that response came back. New cabin design, all Y, all 29-inch pitch. All Recaro slimline with the <laughs> lesser <little> padding. <laughs> no headrest. For I domestic, mean, for domestic use only. We're going to do 10 of rest, right? I mean... <laughs> yeah. And three labs. That's it. Well, it could be, I mean, you basically just described what eventually will be the Indigo 777. Yeah, I mean, I just, they're talking about 500 seats on those. Oh, my God. 500 plus, like one row of business and then 10 abreast, nose to tail. What you're telling me is we never needed the A380. <laughs> if you don't need the passengers to be comfortable, that's correct. <laughs> I, I mean, the part I don't understand with Lufthansa is they're, they're always cagey with this stuff. And then they try to make a big deal about what they're doing, but then they come out with like half baked plans for their cabins. Like it feels that way, at least. Like the the pre Allegris Allegra, I don't remember Allegris. what it's called. Pre Allegris cabin design configuration. Remember when they were talking about the new business seat? They weren't talking about F at all. And then they it came out and people were like, meh. And then they finally introduced the new F cabin on the seven seven X. People are like, oh, okay, that's fine. It just seems like it seems like they try to make a big deal, but then like it's like ten years off. Yeah. Um. I mean, they they did expect the triple seven X to be delivered with the new business class, you know, five years ago. Yeah. Like Boeing initially promised. Um. I talked to Tim Clark last week. He was like, "Yeah, you know, late. I think he said October of twenty five is about when we should get ours, and they're supposed to get it before. Like, it's that's just a debacle. Um. To the point that Lufthansa has like literally skipped a generation of cabin design. Yeah. What do you, I mean, from, from the perspective of these A350s, I mean, we assume they go to Lufthansa, right? We've had this discussion before. We assume they go to Lufthansa, but they could go to anyone in the group, too. This was, the way this was written, I believe it was for Lufthansa. Okay. And the release, I'll have to, I, see if I still have that tab open. I'm pretty sure the release came from. That's no big deal. I mean, it was Lufthansa group, but it's, um, nah, that's the wrong release. Uh, it was, I believe, Lufthansa, not Deutsche Lufthansa, right? It's, or. Yeah, the group versus the whatever. Yeah. Uh, Lufthansa also has to invest $250 million into, or euro into ITA, and the government is going to invest some too. Okay, so let's go back to the ITA thing. I'm oh, sorry, yeah. I got that backwards. Uh, yeah, the, I mean, Lufthansa's purchase is a capital increase of $325 million. The Ministry of Economics and Finance is going to invest another $250 million and then eventually sell it. So let's, let's go back to that, right? $250 million investment. The they, that, that they that the government has to make and Lufthansa puts in three hundred yeah three and a quarter million. Um, what I mean with forty percent control, does Lufthansa get a say on schedules at that point? Like, are they like what does Lufthansa get to control? Because if if there's certain aspects where they don't get to control where they fly or fares or anything like that, I I don't know that this is successful for them. I think they I think they basically take over. Okay. Come on, they'll walk in and be the adults in the room. 
You want to fly to where? No, that's not right. Quote, here's a quote. Upon closing of this transaction, ITA and Lufthansa Group are expected to immediately start their cooperation at a commercial and operational level. As a network airline, ITA will closely cooperate with Lufthansa Group to benefit from group synergies. End quote. So we're not at risk of them flying to Baton Rouge from Rome. <laughs> you know, flag stop, uh, in, flag stop in Toronto, the freedoms, it'll be fine. <laughs> um, no, take that back. Why don't we make it Halifax? Yeah, Halifax, there you <laughs> go. Um, Gander, Gander, why Halifax? <laughs> the first ITA A330neo was delivered too, speaking of ITA. Yeah, so Lufthansa Group now owns an A330neo. <laughs> <laughs> or 40% one. 40%, that's fair. Um, it is interesting that uh, the release, sorry, just going back to the end of it, that the release mentions how the Rome hub is ideally, quote, ideally situated to further diversify ITA's network towards Africa and Latin America. Hmm. Which, given the uh, historical suggestion that Milan was really where the hub needed to be, the reiterating that Rome is a focus is a little surprising. I don't know. D- doubling down. Yeah. And they're going to have a partnership with uh, Trenitalia. Similar to the one they have with uh, Deutsche Bahn and Austrian and Swiss railroads. I mean, Rome kind of makes sense because it's a much bigger airport and it's got much more extensive facilities, particularly with the new new stuff they've built since the fire. Compared to Malpensa? Yeah. Malpensa's dated. Yeah. Oh, you know, I flew out of there, whatever, on my trip last month, that other absurd thing I did um, two months ago now. And I walked in. I was like, God, how old is this terminal? It's actually not that old. It's like from the 90s. It looks like it was built in the 60s or 70s. I agree, and I, I went for multiple verifications because I didn't believe it, but it's not that old. <laughs> but, I mean, with Rome, right? Because of that extensive yeah. fire, they rebuilt a large portion of that airport. Yeah, and I mean, listen, the, I think my surprise is on that, has, and the questions on that have always been, which one has the business traffic? And, you know, Milan is considered the business hub of Italy, and Rome is the tourist and cultural hub. And so how do you balance that when you're running an airline? And... Maybe they will, maybe they won't. I mean, I guess and the difference would be if you can fly out of Lenate instead of Malpensa, maybe those people are willing to connect and grow. Because it's closer to the city? Yeah. That airport, I mean, it, it does look rough. Are you looking at Malpensa? Yeah. No, it looks like a, a brutalist 1960s architecture. Somehow they built that in the 1990s. I mean, it looks like Newark B... So, so they built it in the 90s, but they designed it in the 70s, and the prints were just sitting there. <laughs> Makes about as much sense as anything else. Uh, yeah, that's funny. So, the, so they got a new 330neo. It's yeah. they don't. I can't tell what kind of business class they have though. Is it nice? I didn't can't even tell what kind of coach they have. It's fine. It's not bog standard, but it's a typical one two one up front, mm-hmm. two four two in the back. It's the product is is not bad right now. Gotcha. But um, hopefully with. As far as the adults in the room, they'll actually continue to do that. Yeah, yeah. Um, tell me about Ethiopians upgrading their 787 cabin. So I was at Future Travel Experience Conference uh, in Dublin last week, which was a fun little get-together, a couple, you know, mostly focused on European and African airlines and then also some ancillary revenue stuff. So a few interesting stories that came out of it, but it's a small conference that happens to get a few CEOs, and one of them was the group CEO from Ethiopians. So he... Uh, was going to chat a little bit and he mentioned, you know, in talking about, hey, they actually made money during COVID. They're one of the few airlines that actually that didn't have a down year. They, their cargo operation kept running. Hmm. I thought that was super interesting. But uh, he mentioned that they uh, recognize their original 787 delivery business class cabin is basically garbage. It's angle flat 222s. Yep. 
Um, and so they're going to they're going to retrofit it to match the new deliveries, which is a one to one much nicer product. Hmm. Um, so, but it's funny. I sort of asked him about it, and he's like, and he's speaking, you know, translating through multiple languages. I get it, like, but very deliberate, very sweet about it. He's like, my passengers, they get on a plane, the new plane, and they're like, ah, this is what business class is supposed to be. And then, then the next day, they get on the old plane, and they're like, what is this? Give me my money back. We can't have that. <laughs> And the way I'm, I'm, I, I should find the audio. I recorded it. I'm not sure if it's good enough quality to play it uh, in the podcast. I'll see if I can find it. But it was, uh, it was pretty great. If you compare, last week we received one Boeing seven seven nine hundred brand new from Boeing. If you see the cabin, the business class is one two one. Means every every customer will have access to it. If you take the first 787 aircraft, part of the configuration is so, so, so. So, yeah. it, it's not the best. Secondly, the first aircraft doesn't have fully flat seats. It is angry. Okay. Now we want you to, when they fly on us one day, they fly with the aircraft, they say, this is a great business class. When they fly, one have to bring my money back. <laughs> so, so all of his passengers are bloggers, apparently. <laughs> Wait, you can ask for your money back if you don't get the seat. <laughs> That's my takeaway. <laughs> he didn't say he was giving it to them. He just said that they were asking. Uh, bad news, though, it's going to be 2025 before they can get it done. Oh, wow! Is there that much of a backlog on seats? Apparently, between manufacturing and Boeing delivering the technical certification package, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, supply chain engineering, yada yada yada. Yeah. So he's he's disappointed at that, but there you go. Fly the A three fly the A three fifties if you want to be guaranteed the better product. Um, Frontier is starting to sell status on their competitor co-brand card hold, like to their competitor card co-brand card holders. Yeah, it's a mouthful. Yeah, I didn't know how else to phrase it. Uh, officially, this is a status match based not on holding status, but holding a credit a points earning credit card. And they're validating by using the first six digits, which is basically bank and product, right? Your the first six digits of your credit card number define the bank that issues it and what type of card it is. Okay. So they've got a list of valid cards, and it's basically anything that earns points. And if you have that, you can get a status match on Frontier through the summer. <laughs> uh, if you spend fly 5,000 miles or spend $5,000 on their credit card that extends through the end of the year. And it's the 20 K status is their bottom tier, but it gets you a free carry on bag and free seat assignments in advance and free extra legroom seats at time of check-in. So it's not the worst thing in the world, but you have to pay. It's a pay status challenge match. (laughs) And there's actually two tiers. There's uh, a cheap one that you get it. And then you do the challenge with the 5,000 miles or $5,000 spent on the card or you can just, I think it's $500 or something like that, and you just get the status for the summer. Or maybe it's 200 It's $200 to, for the challenge with the first 2,000 people getting it for 80 which is a weird discount number. And then the bigger one is, I want to say it's four or 500 300 something like that. You pay, you pay more. I'm double-checking while we're talking here. Um, and get uh, the status through the end of the year without having to do the challenge. So, um, What does it get you? Like, What does status earn you? Yeah, the, like it's free bag, free carry-on bag, which they typically charge for, um, which can be fifty or sixty bucks a flight, 
in my experience. Mm-hmm. I did that a couple weeks ago. A uh, free advanced seat assignment, which not necessarily obvious seat, but call it 20-ish bucks if you're familiar. Mm-hmm. Right. There is real value there. The part that's amusing to me is that they're calling up status match when rather they're selling it. Yeah. Um, and you can get, uh, yeah, it's $500 for the non-challenge version where you just get it through the end of the year. So, Foz, this is this your next, uh, you're chasing this status next? Is that... No, no, no. Even though they fly to Trenton, no. But then you can also buy the Go Wild Pass for another $500, and for basically 700 bucks through September 30th, you could fly for quote-unquote free anywhere in their network. Except they don't really want to fly during the summer. <laughs> well, there's that. Smart man he is. I, I, like that, I like that Seth, like, he took it to the next level. Of not flying over the summer, and it's just like I'm, I'm, I'm going to Europe, and there's no like <laughs> oh, my, my version of not flying this summer is I'm just not coming back. Yeah, exactly. Well, to his credit, he's minimizing the amount he has to fly. It's true. It's true. Yeah. He's like, hey, yeah. I have to take a train and a city, and I'm taking trains on most of my hops within. Which I'm, I'm, I'm going to be fascinated to hear about the trains because I find the trains in the summer might be the worst I've ever seen, depending on yeah. who you're on, like Deutsche Bahn versus you know. Uh, Deutsche Bahn for all the ABB or whatever. So OBB, uh, OBB. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. So like, oh, Ostrich. Um, no, I'm on Deutsche Bahn from Poznan to Hamburg, and then from Hamburg to Copenhagen. Yeah, I, I'm interested to hear that how that is because I, I found. I mean, I, I bought one of those Eurail passes or I guess Deutsche Bahn passes, and we ended up standing for like a four hour trip once. Oh, yeah, but I also buy seat assignment because <laughs> I'm not an idiot. Uh, shut up. Come on now. Don't it's play. like four euros. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. Fair enough. And actually, I what I usually end up doing is because, and this is sort of my MO with most travel, because I know I'm buying a seat assignment mm-hmm. on Deutsche Bahn, usually the upgrade to first class on the non-refundable tickets that I'm buying anyways is like 15 euro and a seat assignment is like five. So I usually end up upgrading to first class yes. because it includes a seat assignment. Yes. Rub it in. Come on. Then uh, I'm smart. Then I'm smart. <laughs> Uh, an Asiana passenger opened the exit door. Yes. Uh, he said he was feeling claustrophobic, uh, as they were on approach and final, uh, and popped the door open. So there's a lot going on there. One, uh, we often talk about, it's impossible to open a door while the plate is flying. Don't worry about it. That's at they altitude. Were, they were, yeah, they were low enough. In it. They were low enough that the pressure. So airplanes are pressurized typically between six and 8,000 feet. They were below that, so there was no pressure differential. Um, also, initially there was a claim like he just tapped it, he didn't really flip it, and like the handle, but who knows. But also, it raises a question. Some regulators require a flight attendant to be seated at every exit door, mm-hmm. and most don't, because that's way more flight attendants than the sort of one for every 50 passenger standard. And I do wonder, like, Asiana stopped selling exit row seats as a result of this. I don't know if they've come worked that back and what they're doing but like you need people sitting there but you need them to not open it until it's time so so to be clear this was an this was an a321 yes so it's an actual door not it's not the over wing crescent it, it was the door aft of the wings it was a class set as the older configuration the newer configuration does have overwing exits the older config doesn't so I, I guess i'm trying to understand it wouldn't have mattered if it was pressurized anyway right because those open outward right no, they still they come in a tiny bit and then pivot out. Oh, I got you. Okay, it's still a plug. You still gotcha. have to break break the seal. Yeah, yeah. we, we I, learned from the MD11, which I'm I'm still I mean I still think it's for him to say he for people to say he tapped it like you have to open no, the door. He, he he definitely <laughs> opened it. Yeah, 
oh man, this sucks. I just hope it doesn't mean like we're going to go through a big change where you can't even get these seats. So, <sighs> I mean, does he is he going to get a, a life in prison or what's he going to get for this? Can't tell. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm sure. I mean, Korean law is a little bit different. So, yeah. Wow. Um, the Chinese uh, new airplane, the C919, has entered service. Yeah, all Chinese except not. Um, no, listen, I and the Boeing is also not all American, and the Airbus is not all European. So, like, we can dispense with that. But it is a relatively speaking clean sheet design from scratch, Chinese. Right, the ARJ twenty one was their last effort, and that was decidedly an MD eighty knockoff. Yeah, uh, this one is not. Now, there's debate about what what plants they stole from whom and where regarding other things, but industrial espionage is real. But they built the assembly lines, they did it all, and it's finally flying. It took longer than expected. It was sort of started flying, then stopped, and now it's back again. But yeah, it's real. I mean, would you fly on it? Yes. Thoughts? I mean, I'm not going to China anytime soon. Not right now, I wouldn't. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't think anyone's really going to China. I actually watched a YouTuber talking about, you know, he did a transit without visa recently on through China. And I was like, eh, I don't know if I do that right now. So. <laughs> um, and then Embraer had a bunch of deals. Uh, who is SKS? Uh, some Malaysian airline. Okay. And what they, what they, what they win? What kind of deal do they get? Uh, SKS bought the E2 195s. Okay. Scoot, which is Singapore's regional short haul long, whatever subsidiary, bought the 190 E2, which is bizarre to me. Is this so they can get into, what was it, Phuket? One of those? Bali? No, you're thinking of, uh, oh, it's the island in Thailand that it's like. Koh Samui? No, there's one that, like, one, like one of the Thai airlines basically built the terminal and it's a tiny tiny short airport it's an island just south of bangkok um i'm blanking on it now our friend hendrick talks about it all the time i'll see if i can find out what we're talking um maybe they fly in there with a320s i think but uh the other airline does but now i i'm just surprised that there's any airline given an option between a bigger and smaller frame first what has to be approximately the same trip costs right now mm-hmm. picking the smaller frame i know it's you know it's your seat so there's less pressure and whatever but like I is it because is it because they can get it? I don't think. Uh, I don't know. Like, I don't think it, can, it needs to be that because the um, the one ninety five e twos actually exist. I'm not sure the one nineties are certified yet. Mm, gotcha. Uh, I just was thinking, like, is it because they can't get an a two twenty to save their life? That could be. I mean, the the. There's also a rumor flying around that came out this week that uh, Riyadh Air, the Saudi airline, mm-hmm. is like trying to, you know, they announced a crazy wide body order a couple months ago. Now they're going to announce their narrow body order, possibly at the Paris Air Show. And presumably it will be both Boeing and Airbus because no one's, that's, you know, most airlines choose to diversify that way. Um, and there's the theory that they could get uh, Boeing's much faster and then they'll add hmm. the others in afterwards. Um, is it Hua Hin that's the super short runway? I don't know. There was a story about, you know, Singapore Air doesn't fly there because they don't have the planes to get in. And I thought it was you yeah. needed you needed a smaller plane. So yeah. Um yeah. Just to say how long the runway is. Uh seven thousand foot runway, so it's pretty short, but not it might actually be Kosamui. I think so. Yeah, I, I don't know. Cause like I don't think I don't think uh Singapore flies there right now. 
Because the Coastal movie is like really short too. Uh, same. Am I seven thousand feet? Yeah, I think you can only do it with like an A three nineteen or something. So yeah. Uh, anyway, but yes, it would not surprise me to learn that the uh, A220 delivery backlogs, which are running a little behind and whatever, uh, is helping drive business elsewhere because they've just sold too many. Yeah. Um, and then Emirates uh, Premium Cabin, uh, I guess Premium Economy. It's Premium Economy. Yeah. We're gonna get their. They're gonna get their own champagne. Ah. Uh, 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 sparkling wine. Sparkling wine. It's Chandon. Wait, oh, Chandon. Chandon. Which you'd think is Moet Chandon from France, and yet it's not. It is a Australian sparkling wine. Should we all buy a bottle and try it on the show? If we could get it, uh, it's a, well, that's, it's an exclusive vintage. That's the other thing. Oh. Only place you can get this one is in Premium Economy on Emirates. Oh, really? So it was the spoiled batch they bought. Apparently, premium. Yeah. Um, no, it's uh, pretty silly. Um, yes. But I, I wonder, like, I mean, it's, I mean, is it a selling point for premium economy? Probably not. Like, it's a nice thing to have. I don't know why you can't just sell the, uh, I guess the business class champagne is probably pricey. Yeah. But, but is it the, the logistics of having one more item? Is that worth the little bit you're saving in money? Cause you're actually going to spend a lot more in logistics of carrying it, catering it, and what have you. Yeah. Cause you do have to carry, you have to basically double cater it to some of your outstations. Yeah. 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 Piece of cake. <laughs> just put it in the cargo hold. It's fine. We fly A380s. Plenty of room. Oh, yeah, there's nothing wrong with, like, you know, putting uh, something that's under pressure, under constant additional pressure and remove that. <laughs> that's not going to go sideways at all. <laughs> uh, and then, I guess, lastly, let's talk about uh, British Airways having some flight issues in Florence. Oh, uh, yeah. Still going on, I assume. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think we talked about it a long time ago on the show. Um, or a long time ago, could have been two months ago. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it was happening while I was in Italy, which was yes. in mid-May or mid-April. I mean, but so yeah, it it's still happening, and they 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 can't land because yeah. of can't take off because of the heat. It's or the configuration of the runway. It's the latter. Florence is a short runway, mm-hmm. and one end of it has a mountain, okay, or a hill or a something. There's a turn involved. It's it's requires significant performance to get off the ground. And especially when the winds are blowing one direction, which is not entirely rare. Yep. And so everyone else flies smaller planes and British Airways uh, thought they can make it work. Um, I thought they were mostly trying to bring in the Neo, which was you know supposed to have sufficient performance to get it off the ground there. But uh, even that has apparently not worked out very well this year. Until they divert to Pisa. So they, they can't, can't the plane. They can't fuel up enough to get off the ground with enough fuel to make it to London, which is not that long a flight. So that says something. Um, but yeah, in order to get off the ground quickly and whatever, they, on certain days, they have to basically, yeah, they take off, divert to Pisa, refuel there. Right, this is like the London city to Shannon to JFK. Yeah, but on a domestic scale. But, but some days they just say, we're not even going to touch Florence. We're just going to go in and out of Pisa. Do they? Yeah. Could you imagine getting Lost a phone everybody call? Over? You think they get a phone call? I can imagine you get told to check in, like, oh, by the way, the last half hour of your flight is actually on bus today. Good luck. Well, I'm thinking of the other way. Though. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You show up at uh, Florence and for checking for your flight at 30 minutes before. Yeah. Yeah, we're, we're going to have to bus you over. Um, and the flight was supposed to leave. It's still leaving at the scheduled time, but just from P- from Pisa. Uh, so you missed the bus. So we'll see you tomorrow. Like, this, it seems like a nightmare. Yeah. Don't they have 319s? 
We'll turn more seats. God, come on, guys. <laughs> this is probably where the 318 would be useful. Yeah, yeah. Bring the 318 back. All business class configuration. Be great. Nice. <laughs> oh, man. 32 seats to Florence. And so my takeaway was we should get this line before we can't. Which, some, not, we which can. line? <laughs> which? Well, the Florence. The Heathrow? Which one? No, Florence. Florence. Yeah, but are we actually going to get it? How many times are we going to have to fly? The, like, it's like rolling the dice. Well, you sh- you get up there and they say, they say we're going to pizza. You say, I'll go tomorrow. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. That's unacceptable that you're going to get me where I'm going several hours late without flying it nonstop. Please rebook me until tomorrow. I can't wait to see you try to negotiate that with an Italian check-in agent cause. I'd probably start it in the London side. <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't be stupid enough to try this on the Italy side. Yeah. Hey, loves. Yeah. You're not flying fly to Florence today. Is, is that like a trip in vain before you actually even start the trip? Uh, yeah. Wait, but we're going to get you there just an hour late. No, no, no. I needed that line. I don't think it's going to work. I'm not going to Pisa. Yes, sir, but it's just an hour away. I, but I don't want to go there. <laughs> but I, 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 I'm, I'm unable to ride on buses. <laughs> in, in reality, I'm actually completely mental. I'm sorry. that you're, I don't think you're going to get your rebooking. I think, well, it's a different type of rebooking. It involves a padded room. <laughs> You're like, I really, really wanted to fly into Florence. Why, sir? I just need to. Ooh, okay. <laughs> because I'm crazy. <laughs> I mean, I'm with you. I just, I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah. Um. Well, I think that's a show, gentlemen. we got some bonus topics. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, Seth's experience uh, going to Europe and uh, Ryanair and some United news and dropping some some routes. So stick around for that if you're a Patreon subscriber. If not, thank you for listening. And happy travels. Bye-bye. Take care. Catch you next time.